Welcome to the Mycotoxin Matters podcast from Alltech Mycotoxin Management. As mycotoxins present an ever-increasing threat to livestock production, join us as we discuss these impacts and potential solutions, sustainable farming, and our vision for a planet of plenty. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our latest episode of Mycotoxin Matters. Uh, today, we are joined by Gordon Marley, who is Alltech's Global Silage Support Specialist, and Dr. Radka Boratova, who is Alltech's European uh, Technical Support Manager with a focus on mycotoxins. Over the next uh, 20 minutes or so, we're going to take a look at some of the results from uh, Alltech's harvest programs across uh, Europe and North America. And then with Gordon, uh, we will look at some of the topics around storage mycotoxins and how uh, we can apply some best practices during the coming uh, feeding season. Radka, let's start with you, if that's OK. Um, and you've been doing some assessment, I guess, of forages in particular uh, from the samples that have been coming in uh, across Europe and the USA from, from Harvest 2023. Maybe you could start by giving us just a a very brief insight as to, to some of the risk uh, we are seeing this year and then uh, a small comparison to uh, other years. Yeah, if we have to compare, then uh, first I would like to give a brief introduction what we did. So in the US, we analyzed over 200 samples of corn silages within several last weeks. In Europe, we analyzed uh, around 100 samples of grass silages mostly. And also we also received results for a few corn silage samples. So just to give you a brief overview about the risk coming from the US um, corn silage and also risk coming from the grass um, silage made in Europe, we have to say there is a big difference in terms of mycotoxin contamination, but there isn't a big difference in uh, mycotoxin risk. So when we look at the US, the risk coming from the corn silages is definitely high. Um, the most prevalent mycotoxins are type B trichodesines, and namely, this is dioxinivalanol. When we go back to Europe, the risk coming from grass silages, uh, when I look at the REQ values, is around three times higher than the risk coming from corn silages in the US. So I want to say the risk in Europe now is very high. And the most prevalent mycotoxins are the other penicillium mycotoxins. This is mycophenolic acid. Uh, this is rock 14C uh, penicillic acid, for example, patulin as well. These are mycotoxins we normally analyze at 37 plus lab. So the, the risk is high at both regions, but there are different mycotoxins causing the risk. And why in addition, when I look at the corn silage data uh, from Europe, the risk is high. And the most prevalent mycotoxins are the type B trichotisins. So we see similar picture to the picture in the US. And Radka, that difference that we're seeing between, I guess, the, the US and Europe when we think of the, the mycotoxin, uh, the, the profiles in, in the forages, is that purely down to the type of ingredient uh, that is being uh, predominantly used in both of those regions? Yeah, definitely. That's that's it. That is. I I checked also some grass silage results from the US. Uh, I didn't see that many penicillium mycotoxins there, but we only analyzed few samples. So definitely, uh, the other penicillium mycotoxins, which are very typical mycotoxins for the grass silages from Europe, is really very associated with grass. Uh, 
it's not this is not a typical group of mycotoxins for the uh, corn silage. Nevertheless, I didn't say we cannot find it in corn silage. Never, ever. We can find any mycotoxins on every ingredient. So, yeah, I see, we see clear association of uh, different types of mycotoxins with uh, different uh, ingredients. So, grass, penicillium, corn, type B trichotisins. Gordon, um, I think you're coming to us today from Norway and you've been doing a lot of traveling and you continue to do a, a lot of traveling uh, with your role. When you're out on the ground, I guess, um, the penicillium story in, in forages and in grass silage in particular has been the, the big story in Europe in, uh, over the last few years. You know, reflecting on what Radk has just shared and, and the increasing risk uh, year on year that we are seeing, does that tend to tally with, with what you were seeing when you were getting out on farm uh, in, in these countries you're visiting? Absolutely. The practical um, observations that you make when you go around from country to country, are well, they used to be entirely about um, the specific geography of a country. Now it's very much into the regional climate of a country. And we've had so much so much climate variation within a country and between countries this last year that the stress that has been on grasses, that has been on all forages, has been very, very dramatic. And those stresses, it has been drought, it has been flooding, it has been both. So yes, we're seeing reduced yields and we're seeing enormously increased challenges um, within all European countries. And then Gordon, I guess, you know, when we think of forest management, it doesn't stop when, when harvest is completed. And I know you're one of the, the biggest advocates of that approach. If we think of forages, be it grass silage or corn silage that are now in, in storage and, and ready to be fed out over the next few months, um, how can we avoid amplifying what is potentially an existing mycotoxin problem are then uh, also creating new mold and mycotoxin development when forages are in storage. What are some of the key things I guess livestock producers need to be thinking about um, as they start to, to feed out? When I've been talking about silage production, I always start the silage production at the fertilization of the field. Silage starts with the soil, but equally the fermentation starts with the soil and the mycotoxins very often start with the soil. The issue that Radka has highlighted is penicillium. And the organisms that cause storage mycotoxins, they come in from the fields. They may not cause a problem in the field, but they start to cause a problem during storage. So managing the field is the first start, but once you've cut it, you have to ensile it. The big challenge, as Radka says, is penicillium. And this is the classic storage mould that everybody is aware of. It's ubiquitous in the soil and is always brought into the bunker as a growing mould or as a spore. When we've had challenges uh, during harvest because of yield, then there's a, a desire typically to lower the cut height. And that's going to increase the bio burden, increase the amount of penicillium that we're likely to bring into um, the bunker during harvest. As a microbiologist, as a silage person, penicillin is horrid. Penicillin, 
um, is capable of growing at exceedingly low pHs and is very tolerant of anaerobic environments. It can survive in 1% oxygen. And when it becomes stress, it's going to start producing the toxins. It's not always going to produce toxins, but if it's there, it has the potential to produce it. So we focus on hygiene. Um, we focus on filling the bunker rapidly in thin layers and getting a complete fermentation. If we don't get all of the air out during the fermentation, if we don't get a low pH, then we're creating an environment whereby the penicillin can grow. So we want optimal sealing, optimal compaction. We want good maintenance of storage conditions. Um, and we want to focus to some extent very greatly on the shoulder area of the bunkers, ensuring that they are exceedingly well sealed. But before all of this, you've got to look at your bunker um, and repair it before you start ensiling and be aware of the challenges. If there's air, then you have a challenge and you have a risk. And that's what we are always trying to manage. Radke, unfortunately, um, despite uh, what Gordon has recommended there, we see plenty of cases where um, you know, penicillium toxins still end up in, in TMR diets. Uh, from an animal perspective, uh, what are some of the impacts that, that this uh, mycotoxin group can have uh, within the animal? Yeah, that's a very important question, uh, Martin. These mycotoxins will be ingested by the animals, so the first place where they will get is the rumen, and that's where they hit. They will modify the microbiome in the rumen and once the microbiome is modified the rumen cannot work the normal way so of course we will face probably and very often it's lower dry matter intakes also lower milk production altered uh, milk composition for example water fat can go down or the milk protein can go down and then the next place where these toxins will go is going to be the small intestine so these mycotoxins are toxic for the enterocytes. So we will see some impact on the gut health. 70% of the immune system of the animal is located in the gut. So automatically we will see immune system suppression. The next place where these mycotoxins will go is the liver. Most of the, uh, the other penicillin mycotoxins and mycotoxins in general are hepatotoxic. So it's another impact is the impact on the liver function and the health. And by compromised immune system, compromised immune, uh, compromised rumen function and the liver function, well, probably can see also higher somatic cell counts and some more issues with uh, mastitis, higher incidence of mastitis, more problems with legs and fertility. It's a complex issue because these mycotoxins will not hit the animals only themselves. They come always in a cocktail with the other mycotoxins. Usually, the dairy cow is exposed to dozens of mycotoxins every day, and they sell thousands of PPBs she needs to process and metabolize. It's not only the other penicillin mycotoxins, but as we can see, uh, forage is the big proportion of what the cow is eating, and the forage is going to bring a huge proportion of the other penicillin mycotoxins. So, there is a huge issue with the cow uh, health performance and feed efficiency. 
in the end, which will reflect in lower um, farm performance and profitability of the farm. So then, Radka, from a nutritional perspective, if mycotoxins are what you say presenting at times an unavoidable challenge in forages and then subsequently TMR diets, um, what should livestock producers be doing, I guess, to, to try manage this challenge from a from a nutrition perspective? Yeah, well, uh, definitely don't feed malt. That's usually the upper part of the clamp, the crust on the top. You can sometimes you can see it 5, 10, 20 centimeters, very moldy part on the top of the clamp or the bunker. And also I wouldn't feed the, uh, the sides which are in 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 the touch with the bunker or a clamp uh, wall because there we see really obviously we can see uh, the mold whatever mold it is if it's penicillium or it's uh, fusarium or it's aspergillus or any other mold because mold will have a huge impact on a feed palatability and of course the spores they can be carried over through the gastrointestinal tract, for example, into the pregnant uterus. They can cause abortions. They can cause. Uh, they can have an impact on the immune system, of course, and they can have similar clinical signs um, than mycotoxin poisoning. So don't feed mold. When you see mold, just remove it and don't give it to cows. Many farmers don't do that. That's why I, I highlight this point. Also. Traversing of the uh, of the clamp phase should be quite quick because that's where the oxygen is coming. Every time the oxygen, as Gordon said, the moles they require, they need the oxygen to grow, proliferate and produce mycotoxins. So the uh, traversing of the clamp phase should be quick in the summer, one to three days, in winter, three to five days. So let's avoid every uh, contact of the silage with the oxygen and minimize it to, to the time should be as low as possible. Always feed the fresh feed to cows. So prepare the, the TMR, give it to cows straight away. Use a good mycotoxin binder that's on the top. It's almost the last possible intervention. Um, it can be mixed into the TMR. It can be used as a top dressing. It depends how much the cows are already affected by mycotoxins. And use a good mycotoxin binder, which can deactivate or bind the other penicillin mycotoxins, type B trach disease, emerging mycotoxins. Because these are the top three mycotoxin groups in, uh, in forages, in Europe, US, everywhere. And then test, test, test. Test the clamp. Test the TMR, test the forages, and test the risky ingredients. For example, you can have a DDGS inside your TMR, which could be important source of mycotoxins. So, more you test, better picture about the mycotoxin risk you get. Thank you, Radke. Some really good practical advice there. Um, Gordon, we'll we'll finish with you. And I know you're you're sitting in a, a snowy Norway today, but further south, um, you know, in in the southern hemisphere. Uh, farmers there will be will be heading into to silage making over the coming months and in some cases probably already are. Um, you've been leading the, the rollout of EGALIS uh, globally for Alltech, uh, the new silage in Auckland. Um, if you think of, I guess, applying a silage in Auckland uh, to, at, at harvest time, uh, what would be some of the areas that, that producers should be thinking about to, to help deliver optimum fermentation during the, the insiling process. And then separately, I guess, just uh, be good to hear some of the 
the results you're seeing with with Igala so far in the field and, and some of the successes you're having? Yeah, thanks, Martin. Um, the ensiling process is crucial to inhibiting undesirable organisms, whether they're bacteria, whether they're yeast, whether they're mould. And that is crucial to maximising the retention of the feed value into the final milk potential or meat potential of the silage. Um, to maximise the outgrowth of mould during that initial storage period, then we're looking at doing everything that we've spoken about with regard to mycotoxin. We're looking at filling in uh, thin layers and getting appropriate compaction for the dry matter and not delaying the sealing of the bunker and actually covering the bunker overnight if it's taking more than one day to fill. But the use of an inoculant is, is important and you need to choose an effective inoculant. It will bring down the pH of the silage a lot more rapidly. And the quicker we bring the pH of the ensiled forage down, the quicker we inhibit the spoilage organisms, be they bacteria, be they yeast, be they mould, and be we focusing on um, the fermentation characteristics or focusing on the potential mycotoxin production through storage and even through feed out. A high specification homolactic inoculant like Agalis um, works over a wide range of dry matters, is effective over the entire pH and siling range and brings about a very, very rapid uh, drop in pH and protection of the ensiled feed quality. What I've seen going across uh, Europe, going across um, North America and in other countries is probably about a 2% better maintenance of digestibility in agarless treated forages. When you make silage, you're making losses. And when you open the bunker, you're increasing those losses. And what we're trying to do by controlling the microbiology, by controlling the air, is to reduce those losses. Agalis works very effectively at that. Um, and then the management practices that we've spoken about help to reduce that oxygen concentration and keep that oxygen out of the face during storage and equally importantly, during feed out. Gordon, Radka, uh, thank you for joining us today. You always come to us with a, with a wealth of information. So great to have you on the podcast. And to our listeners, thank you also for, for continuing to join us each month uh, and, and listening to, uh, to the various episodes. Um, if you are interested in learning more about Alltech's uh, harvest analysis programs or signing up to receive the reports, uh, please do follow uh, our social channels or visit some of our websites and you'll be able to uh, to find a link there to sign up and receive the reports um, directly into your inbox. Uh, we'll be back next month with another uh, episode of Mycotoxin Matters. Uh, until then, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening today and look forward to you joining us next time on the Mycotoxin Matters podcast. For more information on the topics discussed, please visit nomycotoxins.com. That's K-N-O-W, mycotoxins.com.